Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. That was a uh, that was a fun, pretty fun game against Stanford. Forty-two to six win for the Ducks. Uh, the start, you know, we I think we can all collectively agree to forget about that first quarter. Um, focus on what happens in the final three quarters for the Ducks, where they scored forty-two unanswered points and and went on for the the blowout victory. Uh, we're gonna talk about that. We'll talk about some of Dan Lanning's comments after the game. Some of my biggest takeaways from the game. Good show on tap for you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Like I said up top, that was a uh, that was a pretty entertaining game. Um, Forty-two to six win for the Ducks. I think they surpassed five hundred yards of total offense again, which is pretty remarkable considering in the first quarter they had three total snaps. Um, this was just it was such a I say it was an entertaining game, but it was a very dreadful start for the Ducks. Um, they were so uncharacter they were very uncharacteristically you know, a different team in this game. They just, they looked out of sorts in that first quarter and it wasn't really because of anything they were doing. They just didn't have the opportunity to do anything. Um, credit to Stanford. I think that was their game plan to come in and just kind of eat as much clock as possible from the very start and just kind of keep play, keep away from the ducks. Um, Oregon first time they had the ball, uh, they went three and out and punted and then they didn't get the ball again until the second quarter. Um, so yeah, again, credit to Stanford. They did what they needed to do when they tried to play keep away and it, it worked for 15 minutes of the game and then it, then it didn't. So, um, just to start, I want to talk about this game had, this game had such Stanford vibes early on. Um, you know, I've been talking all week about strange things tend to happen when Oregon plays Stanford. I mean, this is one of the best rivalries in the PAC 12 over the past couple of decades. Um, you know, it's been upset galore uh, for both sides. I mean, from 2010 to 2015, I think you had three or four top five teams lose to the other one. Um, several chances to go to the, the national championship game or the Pac-12 championship game. Those went out the window because one of these teams lost to the other one. Even as recently as 2021, the number three Ducks, um, fresh off of a win against Ohio State in Columbus, they went down to Palo Alto and lost in overtime. So, um, it's safe to say that all Oregon fans, they're on their toes going up against Stanford. You know that strange things can happen. And this game, it had it had just real Stanford vibes going into it. Um, it was announced on, I think, Friday night that Stanford was wearing their um, all-black alternate uniforms, which, you know, put an interesting vibe out there. The opening kickoff of this game, Camden Lewis kicked out of the bounds uh, for a penalty and and put the ball in, I think, the 35 or 40-yard line, whatever it is in college. Just from there, you could kind of feel it. that It was just, all right, something's a little bit off. I don't know if the Ducks are playing tight or it's just there was a weird vibe, a weird energy in the air. Um, that, that hung around for the first quarter. Oregon allowed Stanford to drive down the field a couple of times, kick field goals. Luckily, they, they bent, they didn't break. Um, but you know, Stanford goes up six, nothing and Oregon gets the ball once in the first quarter and goes three and out. 
And then when they got the ball the second time, they went three and out again. So, you know, it was it was tough. But fortunately, the Ducks turned this around. Like I said, they scored 42 unanswered points. Um, they covered the spread with ease, the 27 and a half. So they're 5-0 and against the spread this year. And they're 5-0 and on the season for the first time since 2013. Which that I saw that stat online after the game, and I immediately had to go look it up and do the research for myself because that's that's kind of crazy. Uh, five and zero. Oh, I mean, this is the team that in 2014 played for the college football playoff, and 2019 won the Rose Bowl. Um, but in both of those years, they did not go five and one. I think they went four or five and zero. Oh, sorry, I think they went four and one both years. So this is the first time since 2013, first time in the Dan Lanning era, obviously, that this team is 5-0. and um, Good on them. That's It's impressive. We'll see if they can keep that going. Fingers crossed. All right, let's get into some takeaways from this game. I think that my biggest takeaway, I mean, this was obviously a big offensive game, but we expect that from Oregon at this point. We expect Bonex to have his big days. We expect Troy Franklin Bucky Irving, Jordan James, we expect them to put up the big numbers. I'm still just continually so impressed with this defense. Um, you know, we keep going week after week saying, all right, let's, the defense looks good. Let's get a little bit of a bigger sample size before we say it's, it's really one of the best units in the, in the conference, maybe one of the um, upper units in the nation. I don't want to say top, top units in the nation, but you know, they're, they're a solid unit. Um, I'm still not quite ready because because Stanford, you know, Stanford's not a great team. They're not a great offensive team. So yes, a good defense should be able to shut them down. But um, man, I just I continue to be impressed. The Ducks had five more sacks in this game that puts them at 18 sacks on the year. Um, just for comparison's sake, uh, they had 18 total sacks in 2022. Um, so they've already met their total from last year and. Last year, that was one of the biggest downfalls of this team is that they had no pass rush. They fixed that this year with the, um, you know, the the transfer portal signing of Jordan Birch. You got your true freshman Mateo Uyunglele, Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti coming in. They're playing well. Um, Brandon Dorless playing very well. Mace Funa playing well. Um, they even had we had. Kyrie Jackson, cornerback, and um, Evan Williams get a, a sack on the safety blitz, the cornerback blitz today. So it's coming from from really a lot of different spots in the defense. And I feel like just, you know, like we said, coming into this year, the second year in this defense, second year under Dan Lang's scheme, you thought that it would start to fit together a little bit more than it did last year. So um, I was really impressed with the pass rush and also just the rush defense. I mean, Oregon held Stanford to 89 yards of total rushing today. Uh, I think they were just under, let me check this stat real quick. Stanford had 222 total yards of offense. Um, so, you know, that's just a, it's a really, really good defense. And, um, you know, after, after the first quarter when Stanford did move the ball a little bit and, and got into position for those two field goals, Oregon really clamped down and they didn't let them, um, they didn't let them do anything after that. I know Oregon held them to six of 18 on third down, three of six on fourth down. So you're happy with both of those numbers, but all in all five games into the season, I'm again, I'm not ready to say that this is one of the best defenses in the nation, but I think it is probably the best defense among the best defenses in the PAC 12. Um, I really think this is a unit that can compete for a PAC 12 championship. And when you, 
pair it with Oregon's offense, I think you've got a really, really good team. So I, I really like what I see uh, in this aspect of the team. Let's talk about penalties real quick. Um, this was actually a positive note for Oregon, which is something that we have not been able to say since, uh, what was it, week two? I mean, heading into week two, I mean, Texas Tech was not a good week for penalties either. So I guess it's all the way back to week one for Oregon. Penalties have been a problem since then. They had two penalties for 20 total yards tonight, which is well below their season average of 75 yards uh, in penalties each game. So um, I think that this is it's been such a big problem for the Ducks. And for now, it looks like it's been fixed. You know, knock on wood, that's this is something that can change game to game. Again, they looked really good in week one against Portland State. I forget how many penalties they had, but it wasn't many. I mean, it was maybe three or four at the most. And then it started to come against Texas Tech and continued against Hawaii and Colorado. Penalty is such a problem, but they looked really good in this game. Um, there was, I believe... Uh, pass interference call and a defensive delay of game um, for one of their, you know, they stem up front, they make some, some line calls and they sometimes sound like the, the QB hiking the ball. So it's understandable, but you know, I, I'm impressed by what we saw from this unit. I thought it was really funny that uh, Dan Lanning was asked after the game about the penalty yards and the improvement there. And he just said that, he thinks his team is really tired of doing up downs for all of the punishment for the penalties. And they've done a lot of up downs over the past few weeks for all of their penalties. So um, that was his, that's what he had to say about it. It's I think it's just a, a huge positive going forward and we're hoping that it can continue because if the ducks can stay out of their own way, uh, it's they're going to be hard to beat. That's for sure. Next thing I want to talk about is the uh, the running back rotation. Um, one of the biggest questions I had coming into this game was, you know, how much would we, how many running backs would we see, basically, uh, with Noah Whittington out for this game, potentially the next few games. We don't really know. We'll try and get a status update on him. We won't get one this week because of the bye week, but hopefully we'll find out more going into that Washington game, see if he can come back. But with Noah out, you know, would Oregon still try and go with a three-man rotation like they were with Noah, Bucky Irving, and Jordan James? Would they get one of the true freshmen, either Jaden Lamar or Dante Dowdell, um, try and get them in that rotation? Or would they kind of just split Noah's carries among Jordan and Bucky um, and just, just let them shoulder the load? We We got our answer pretty loud and clear. It was all Jordan and Bucky in this game. I think Bucky had 11 carries. Jordan had, I want to say, six carries. Um, Bo Nix ran a little bit, but you know, it was those are the only three players that got. <clears throat> excuse me, those are the only three players that got actual rushing attempts until midway through the fourth quarter when you got Jaden in and you got Dante in. Um, you got a little bit of run for them, but um, I think going forward, this is likely what we're going to see. It's probably going to be this two-man game for the next. Uh, game, couple games until Noah returns again. We don't really know when that'll be, but um, you know, it's I I think you should feel really confident in what Jordan and Bucky can do because so far they've done nothing to dissuade the illusion that they can carry this team and be an absolutely great running back duo going forward. Speaking of Noah Whittington and injuries, uh, there were a couple injuries in this game. Uh, we don't really know how serious they are at this point, but. 
Kyrie Jackson, the star cornerback, and uh, Popo Almavai, the defensive lineman. They both got banged up in this game a little bit. Kyrie went out in the, I believe it was the first quarter. Um, I know it was the first half, but he looked to have some sort of hip injury. Um, I didn't really see what it was on the play, what happened if he got contact or whatever, but he came to the sideline. um, Trainers looked at him. He walked to the locker room under his own power, then turned around and walked back and kind of went to an exercise bike and, and started working out a little bit, then decided to make his way to the locker room for the half. He came back out in the second half and was was on the sideline for that, but did not play at all. So um, we are unsure, you know, how serious that injury is. Popo Amavai, uh, I I have no idea what happened to him. I didn't think he played at all during this game, but some people say that they they thought he played a snap or two in the first half. But then he came out, uh, he came out at halftime in street clothes and did not play um, in the second half. So that's something that we will keep an eye on going forward. In the uh, the Kyrie si- <clears throat> in the Kyrie situation, that's that's potentially a really big one for the Ducks. Um, losing Kyrie, particularly against Washington, coming up the number one passing offense in the nation, um, one of the best offenses in the nation overall. You know, you you really can't lose your number one cornerback, someone as good as Kyrie. Um, that would be absolutely brutal. You must have him if possible. Um, again, I'm, I'm unsure how serious any of these are. Landing was asked about it after the game. He said, obviously we, we need to talk to the medical staff. We need to figure out what's, what's going on with them, but we'll, we'll try and find out more going forward. But if you're a duck fan, you have to seriously, seriously be hoping that Kyrie is able to rest up for this bye week, this well-timed bye week and be good to go against Washington because he's going to be among the most important players for Oregon's defense in that game. A few more takeaways from this game. Um, continuing with the the Kyrie Jackson talk, I was really impressed by how Oregon's cornerbacks played once he went out. Um, guys like Nico Reed, Dante Manning, Julio Florence, they all really stepped up. Um, they all recorded several pass breakups. Um, Lanning talked after the game that he was just this is a really good um a really good example of depth on their roster and having these guys that, you know, they may not start. He was talking about Nico in particular, someone who doesn't start, but he comes in right away and makes a difference and he's ready to play right away once he gets in there. So um, that's, that's just a quick one, really impressed by what they did Um, on the other side of that coin, really tough day for Camden Lewis. Um, He's arguably been one of the MVPs for Oregon this season. Um, he's been among the best kickers in the nation with his uh, touchback percentage on kickoffs. He's been perfect from field goals and extra points. Uh, he had a tough day at the office. He kicked the uh, he had two kickoffs go out of bounds, including the first one of the game. He missed a 38-yard field goal as time expired in the first half. Um, it was just really uncharacteristic performance from him. Um, he's been so good this year. He was really good last year. Um, this was just, it was, this was like freshman Camden Lewis. This is 2020 or 2021 Camden Lewis that we saw today, which, um, you know, I thought those days were behind us. So let's hope that he regroups in this bye week and kind of figure some things out, figure out what went wrong. Cause they need, uh, they need him to be good going into Washington, going to the bulk of the schedule. Cause you've got Washington, Washington state and Utah coming up after the bye. So, um, you need a, a really solid kicker, um, in those tough moments going forward. Definitely. 
one of the last things I just want to give out some offensive praise. We've talked about the defense a lot in this game, and rightfully so. I mean, they they held Stanford out of the end zone, holding to six points total, but Oregon also scored 42 points, so this would not be a, a, a solid recap unless we gave our flowers to the offense. Bo Nix, of course, had a great game. 27 for 32 passing, 290 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Troy Franklin caught all seven of his seven targets, had 117 uh, receiving yards, two touchdowns. This was his fourth game this year with over 100 yards, his second straight game with two touchdowns. Uh, Bucky Irving had 88 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Jordan James, again, 88 yards and one touchdown. He actually got his 88 yards on six carries, though, compared to Bucky's um, 11 carries. Which that's you know that's really interesting. I think that if going into this year, Oregon fans and I mean myself as well, kind of thought that Bucky would be the the big play threat. He'd be the one that was always breaking off big runs, and you'd expect him to have the hundred yards on five or six carries and have the eleven you know eleven yards per carry stuff like that. So far, it's been Jordan James that's been that big play threat. He's got, I don't have the stats in front of me. I'd be curious to look this up, but he's got multiple long, you know, 20, 30, 40 yard runs, um, some of which have gone for touchdowns this year. So I've just been impressed by what we saw, especially without uh, Noah Whittington out there. Jordan James really stepped up when they needed him. Uh, last one, last offensive flowers I want to give out is to Terrence Ferguson. He got, I think it was his first touchdown of the season maybe a second I forget how many he has but um, he had a really nice jump ball I think it was on a fourth and goal Um, went up and completely mossed the defender Um, just caught it over his head brought it down it was just really impressive to see and the the teammates celebrating around him was really awesome you can just tell how much he's loved by his teammates and um, how happy they were for him and how impressed they were with the catch my last takeaway from this game, this is more of a, this is not a stats takeaway. This is more of a, an overall overarching takeaway. Um, I'm really impressed with this win because I think it's, it goes to show and it, it furthers the belief from Dan Lanning that it's important to learn to win in new ways. Um, the message after the Texas Tech game uh, in week two was that, you know, it was an ugly win and Oregon kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot and there was a lot of mistakes, but you know, sometimes you need those type of games. You need those type of wins to learn how to do that, to learn how to face those tough times and, and really have to come from behind and, and get yourself up by your bootstraps and actually find out how to win that game. I think that's the same message after this game. Um, You know, they can't all be blowouts where things go perfectly from the jump. You have to learn to settle things down and get into a rhythm. And it's important to learn how to win this way. You know, Oregon was, they were not clicking on any cylinders at all in the first quarter. And it would have been easy for other teams to, you know, say, Hey, this is not our night. This is going to be a really tough one. We've got to grind it out all game. Oregon turned this around quickly. And they, like I said, scored 42 unanswered after that first quarter, they looked like themselves. They were able to kind of dig themselves out of that hole, climb out of that hole that they dug um, and, and look like themselves again. So I think that while this win wasn't always pretty, I think it was really important because the ducks can now say when they get tough times in the future, they can say, Hey, we've been in this spot where things are not going our way. Take a deep breath, settle down. Let's get into our game. Let's get into a rhythm and try and go win this game. 
All right, those are my takeaways from the Oregon game. Real quick before we get out of here, I want to touch on probably one of the more notable uh, pieces of news from the Pac-12 today. That is the the USC forty eight to forty one win over Colorado. Um, yeah, you heard that score right, forty eight to forty one. Uh, this it was a very telling game for USC. Um, you know they they won. They're five and zero. Great. They'll probably still be ranked inside the top ten. This is not a top ten team. This is not a team that I think has much business competing for a Pac-12 championship or a spot in the college football playoff unless they severely improve their defense. I just want to go through some some comparisons for you between what Oregon did against Colorado and what USC did against Colorado. And these are stats through three quarters of the game. And why I do that is because if you watch the Oregon game, remember fourth quarter, the Ducks pulled their starters. So anything that happened in the fourth quarter, it's to be taken with a grain of salt because there were a lot of backups, a lot of young guys, a lot of true freshmen in the game for the Ducks. So for that reason, we're looking at Colorado's stats against Oregon through three quarters and against USC through three quarters to level the playing field a little bit and make things look fair. So Colorado total yards against Oregon through three quarters, 72 negative 23 rushing yards. Oregon had six sacks at that time. Um, Colorado had seven first downs in the first three quarters. They were three for 10 on third down and they were averaging 1.9 yards per play. Uh, They had zero points at that time. Fast forward to this weekend in the first three quarters against USC, Colorado had 417 total yards, 22 first downs. Uh, USC had two sacks on them. They were averaging 6.3 yards per play. Um, yeah, I I forget how many points they had, but they I mean they scored over 40 in the game. This was just it goes to show that you know USC kind of is what we thought they were. I mean their offense is incredible. Caleb Williams is incredible. He's going to be a really 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 good NFL quarterback. I don't know that they are ready to compete at the championship level because they still have a defense that cannot stop anyone. Um, And I mean, Colorado has a good offense. Let's, let's make that clear. Colorado has a really good offense, but if you get USC's defense up against Colorado and you give up 41 points and you give up 500 yards of total offense, what are they going to do against Washington? What is USC's defense going to do against Oregon? I mean, I I truly think that, yeah, USC is going to be able to put up 40, 35, 40 points against Oregon, I think. And Oregon's defense is really good. I just spent the entire podcast talking about how I think Oregon's defense is really good. I don't think any of that is going to matter because I think that Oregon and I think that Washington can put up 50, 60 points on USC's defense. They are bad at tackling. They're bad at covering. They get after the quarterback a little bit, but not very much. I mean, even against a a Colorado team that uh, Oregon had seven sacks against, USC had, I think, two or three sacks in the game. So um, I don't know. This is, I don't want to get too far into this because I could talk about it for a long time, but um, I I was not impressed with what I saw from USC today. I think they are still a very flawed team. Um, I think that the nation is probably starting to see that as well because 
once again, you get a Colorado game. This is going to be the most viewed game of the weekend. Probably the most viewed game of the the entire season. They're probably going to take that crown away from the Ducks with their 10.03 million that they got against Colorado last year. This is probably going to break that. And so that's something where I don't know that USC is thrilled about that because they know that the nation now saw that their defense is still very suspect. And while they have a potential two-time Heisman winner at quarterback, that's not that he can't play both ways. Caleb Williams is not Travis Hunter. He cannot play defense as well. So um, I don't know. That was, that's just going to be something fun to watch because USC has got a tough schedule going forward. They've got Notre Dame. They've got Oregon. They've got Washington Hall in the future schedule. So um, I'm very intrigued with what we see from them going forward. Um, I think that they they got exposed a little bit on Saturday against Colorado, and I think that's probably going to continue into the next few weeks. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Um, thank you for tuning in and following along. This was a fun game, um, fun one to recap. We are going to have more going forward. It's the bye week, so I don't know exactly what our schedule is going to be. Um, I will have a podcast sometime in the middle of the week. I think I'm going to bring on a guest and we'll do a little bit of a recap. Um, it's not exactly the midway point for the Ducks just yet. We're a little bit under halfway, but just a, a good time to, without a game to preview, to look back at the first half of the season, get some of our biggest takeaways from that. Um, thank you for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at ducswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys later this week. Until then, take it easy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.